this is third and final talk. It's a hard-hitting series, no doubt about it. You've heard me mention this before. God always works me over when I'm working on a talk to bring to you on Sunday. While I'm working on the talk, God is working me over, and God has been working me over in this series. And uh, I trust that the same has been uh, true for you. Uh, and so we're going to talk about something today out of a passage, actually, that you've seen before. And we're going to get real practical at the end. But I want to begin with a question. Is there anybody here? It's not a trick question. I just ask it on the front end. Is there anybody here that self-admittedly you have a weak stomach? Just wave your hand. If you've got a weak stomach, just wave your hand at me like this. Not a whole lot of you, but some of you, you do. And uh, if you've got a weak stomach, it's not a lot of fun. The slightest yucky thing can just make you gag. Uh, and even worse, if you cannot, I've seen this happen. I'll mention my mom in just a moment. My mom was the worst or the best at this, depending on how you look at it. And she could, she, once she started gagging, if she didn't stop, uh, is possibly going to move to a first-class vomit. That was mom. And uh, I, I love that. It was so funny to me. I, I don't know why, and, but it was funny to me. And as a kid and even into my teenage years, I stopped it once I got a little older and smarter. And that took me a while. And, uh, but I could do these things that would just, I could say things or describe things to my mom, whether or not they were even going on or accurate. And she would just start this, like this gagging. And it was, I mean, it was hilarious. I'm sorry. I'd, I'd love to tell you, uh, it, but it was hilarious. And I would laugh. And the more I'd laugh, the more I'd try to say something. In fact, uh, this is pretty gross. I'll just uh, mention that ahead of time. I can remember one time we had been out to, to dinner. I'm probably, I'm thinking maybe 12, 13, 14 years of age, maybe a little bit old. I know somewhere in that age group. And so we had been out to dinner. We had mom and, and my siblings and me. And then we had something that we had ordered for my grandmother. My grandmother worked at an emergency room at a hospital for years and years. And so uh, we were going to drop dinner off to her. So I told you this is gross. So what happens is we pull up and we're under the little, you know, covering and, you know, she knows to come out and meet us. And when we pull up, I can remember this like it happened yesterday. A guy was just sort of squatting down outside of the hospital and he was picking his nose. Oh, sick, right? He was, he was picking his nose, and it was just, and so I said to my mom, because I knew that she had, she had gagged him, mom, and looked over there, and I said, mom, did you see that? That guy's picking his nose, and she just started gagging instantly. She just started gagging, and I'm laughing so hard, and it is so funny. I, I'm like, mom, he's picking, well, by now, uh, he's already stopped. I mean, it was like momentary, uh, and, and he had stopped. But because mom had looked away because she's gagging, didn't want to see it anymore, I continued the story even though there was no story. I realized around that time I was a great storyteller. And so I started describing in great detail what was going on. And she's like, and I've heard this, stop, Jeff, stop, hush, stop. She'd just, oh, and she'd say, stop, stop. And I'd just keep, oh, you're not going to believe what's going on now. And nothing was happening. The guy's just sort of looking around at this point. But you're not going to, shut, shut up. You know, she shouldn't have said that, but she did now. And then finally, I knew that I'd gone way too far when all of a sudden the car door flew open and she just, just just everywhere, all, all over the ramp there at the hospital. I know that some of you moms have just turned against me, but I'm just telling you, it was, it was hilarious. 
And, but to vomit, I think we would all admit, is a horrible thing. Wouldn't you agree? That's a horrible thing to vomit. You've been there. Maybe it wasn't that kind of, maybe you had the flu or a virus of some sort. So just hold on to that vomit thought for a moment because we're going to come back to it. And you're like, great, we're coming back to vomit. Wow, can't wait for this message. Well, again, this is our third and final talk in this series, The Christian Atheist. What is a Christian atheist? A Christian atheist is somebody who believes in God, but actually lives their life as though God does not exist. In week number one, and again, you can go back and watch it online, listen online. I'm a podcast junkie, so you can go back. And, and uh, if, you're, if you subscribe to the podcast that we do here, you can listen to it on podcast week one and week two, if you happen to have missed one of those. But in week number one, we talked about somebody who believes in God, but, but does not really know God, does not really, would say, yes, God exists. And even I believe that Jesus is the son of God. We mentioned 70s and 75% of Americans believe that, that, that God exists and that Jesus Christ is actually his son. But that doesn't mean that we really know him. I mentioned that scripture that week one, even the demons uh, believe. James said that even the demons believe in God and they shudder, but obviously demons don't know God in terms of a personal relationship. So we, number one, we talked about when you believe in God, but you don't really know God. And then last week in week number two, we talked about somebody who believes in God, but does not really fear God, does not have like this reference or this awe or this respect for God, just, you know, does not have, not, a, not an unhealthy fear, uh, but a healthy fear of God, somebody who believes in God, but does not fear God. Now this morning, we need to dive into this one. And, and again, it may possibly be uh, the most hard hitting of the three. It is when somebody believes in God, but does not want to go overboard with it. I believe in God, but the whole Christian, you know, Christian, Christianity thing, church, God, scripture, Jesus, I, I believe in God, but I don't want to get too carried away with it. I don't want to go overboard. I don't want to take this too far. I'm not looking to become some kind of fanatic. I, I want to be all in, in terms of a relationship with God, but I want my relationship, this is a Christian atheist now, but I want my relationship with God to be based on my terms and conditions and not God's. I want God. I believe in God. I want just enough of God, maybe miss hell, but uh, I, I don't want to go too far with it. I don't want to go too far. I believe in God, but I don't want to get like carried away with the whole Christian thing. Now, uh, again, may not be pleasant, but let's go back because I said we'd come right back to this vomit thing. So we come back to that in relation to something that we're actually about to see in the Bible. And the Bible, you know, I'm, I guess I'm on safe ground. The Bible mentioned vomit, so that gave me permission to do so, uh, I guess, this morning. But some context here would definitely be helpful before we get to this passage. Jesus has a message, a rather strong message, actually, for some people living in a place called Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea, and I don't have time to give you a whole lot of uh, detail here, but Laodicea was perhaps uh, the most, uh, it was the wealthiest city at that time, most, uh, most scholars believe, in the Roman province of Asia Minor in, in the first century. It's a very wealthy, it's it, for that time, a very advanced uh, city and culture. But even with their great 
prosperity. And Laodicea was a prosperous city, and the Laodiceans were a prosperous people. And even though they had great prosperity, even though they had their modernized city with theaters, not like we have here in stadiums, not like we think some of the stadiums we go to, but theaters, places of entertainment, uh, shopping areas. But even with all of that, Laodicea still lacked one very important thing. And the thing that Laodicea lacked was an adequate water supply. Now, keep that in mind. For that time, very sophisticated. Uh, for that time, very cosmopolitan city. Wealth, affluence, it's all right there in Laodicea. You'll see this in just a moment when we come to these verses. But the one thing that they lacked was water, at least a, a good water supply. So as a result of that, Laodicea had to run a pipeline. Listen to this now. When you've read Revelation 3 before, you probably never thought about this because maybe you didn't understand the background that Jesus is speaking into. So Laodicea would run a pipeline from nearby Heropolis uh, to have hot water from the mineral hot springs that existed in Heropolis. In, in order to have access to cold water, they would run pipes from, uh, from their city to the springs in neighboring Colossae. So they were dependent upon on Heropolis for hot water from the hot mineral springs and from Colossae to have cold water coming in. But here's a fundamental problem. Because the pipes that brought the water into Laodicea was above ground and uninsulated, that by the time the hot water had left to Heropolis, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was no longer hot. And the cold water that was in uh, Colossae was no longer cold. And it was actually lukewarm water. And I think we all understand that anything that is lukewarm, especially if we're going to like drink it, there's just nothing pleasant about that at all. So now, understanding that Jesus is speaking to a church, to people, a church in Laodicea, it's not just writing to the culture at large, although it was applicable, and understanding how their water supply worked from Heropolis hot water and cold water from Colossae, but by the time it got to them, it was tepid, it was lukewarm. Into that, Jesus said these words. Look at him on the screen. Look at what he says. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. And the Laodiceans would say, yeah, yeah, sort of like our water, right? Neither cold nor hot. I know your deeds. They're neither cold nor hot. I wish, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, just like the water that you get by the time it reaches you, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit. I'm going to vomit. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. Remember what I told you about Laodicea, very advanced culture for that time. You say, I'm rich. You say, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. I don't have any needs. I got what I need right here. But Jesus said, you do not realize that you're actually wretched and you're pitiful and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. Now skip down about three verses. Jesus is going to leave them with a sense of hope if they will access it. He said, here I am. Into the context of your reality, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. We'll have fellowship. We'll spend time together. Now, what is Jesus saying to these living in Laodicea? He's basically saying your life is stale. You're stagnant. 
I, I wish that you were hot. I wish that you were fired up. Jesus is saying, I wish you were passionate about the things of God. I wish that my father's business was really the priority of your life. I really wish that you prioritized and lived by my teachings, but you're not doing that. You're not hot. I wish you were fired up and hot and a Christian in the realest sense of the word, but you're not hot. I guess I'd rather Jesus say, rather you be cold. I'd rather you be cold, not even, you know, dabbling half in, half out, you know, playing the game, not playing the game, sort of in, one moment out. Uh, you know, if you're not going to be hot, I guess I'd rather you just be cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Obviously, Jesus is able to discern that how you and I live and how these Laodiceans live is actually, how we live is actually the truest reflection of what we actually believe. Now, you saw this verse, but let's go back to it for just another moment, for just a second here. Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We need to talk about that. See, most people want ice cold water, at least for the most part. I, I, I like, and it's crazy, I know for some of you, like, uh, how can you even like that? But I guess it's because I'm cooped up indoors so much. I like getting out and working in the yard. And, you know, as you, as you know, especially this time of year, it can get hot. And, and, you know, my family knows about this about me. I know where my on switch is. I know where that is, but I don't often know where my off switch is. So I get going on a project or doing something, and one thing leads to another and leads to another. And so when I'm working out in the yard, I've learned this thing that if, uh, you know, like the day before when I know I'm going to be spending some time out there, some extended time, I'll just take a bottle of ice water out of the refrigerator, put it in the freezer, and it's ice cold, leave it outside so it's constantly, the whole time if I take a break from something, walk over, it's like ice is starting to melt. melt. It's, it's ice cold. And we like that, ice cold. There's something about ice cold water when you're really, really hot. And most of us like ice cold water. And most of us like hot, hot coffee. I know some of you like ice coffee, and I don't understand it. I'm sure it's good. I just don't understand it. I like ice cold water. How many of you like ice coffee? Raise your hand. It's okay. It's not a trick question. You still get to go to heaven. It's, it's strange to me, but you still can go to heaven drinking ice coffee. I, 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 like, I like ice water, and I'm weird like this. I don't want anything hot to drink when I'm eating. It's like my food is hot. I don't want my drink to be hot. So, uh, you know. I'm not going to, you know, drink coffee with something I'm eating, but I love in the morning at the office, I go, I've got this mug and uh, it's got a football team logo on this mug. Perhaps you may know what it might be. And I love to make a cup of coffee and it's hot. And I walk over, I got a stand up desk in my office that I love. I don't have a chair to sit in. I stand up. I love it. I love it. And so I've set my coffee cup down. And now a while back, I've got to tell you, I went to a staff devotion. My coffee wasn't finished. And so I'm just sipping on it as I'm walking over, set it down on the table outside of staff devotion where all these Christians work at Victory Church. I came out to get my coffee and my Georgia Bulldog coffee mug was gone. It had been stolen. Gary, I think it was a Gator fan. I'm quite sure of that. A Gator fan had taken my coffee mug and later it turned back up again. But, you know, I like ice cold water. I like hot coffee. And Jesus wants us, what he's saying in essence is I want you to be red hot, fired up, all in followers. And if you're lukewarm, if you're not like really cold or really hot, here's what's going to happen. It's going to make me want to vomit. 
Yet a Christian atheist says, oh, yes, 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 I believe in God, but I don't want to take this stuff too far. I'm not going to be, you know, like out here. You know, I'm not going to be like this. I'm not, I'm not like an atheist in the pure sense of the word. I'm not an agnostic. But, you know, lukewarm, tempted is all right for me. Now, um, we all know what an oxymoron is, right? An oxymoron is when you take two opposite words and you place them together. And you know examples, and, and I'll just give you a couple of here. An oxymoron, two words, you put them together, and sometimes it sounds like this. You've heard this, better sweet. That is an oxymoron, right? How about this one? Alone together. How are you alone together? You ever thought about that? How about this one? Have you ever heard this? This is an oxymoron, clearly confused. Is it clear or are you confused? No, I'm clearly confused. Well, that's an oxymoron. How about this? Eddie Halls, I mentioned that earlier. That's an example of, of an oxymoron because we're saying we're having a farewell reception. Eddie's not going anywhere. He's still going to be at the church, but, you know, we're having a farewell reception. He'll still be, a, but it's a fair. How about this one? Have you ever heard this one? Growing smaller. How do you do this? My favorite, all oxymorons is this one, jumbo shrimp. <laughs> is this jumbo or is it shrimp? Somebody help me out here. What is it? An oxymoron. But here is one of the biggest oxymorons of all time, lukewarm Christians. Oxymoron. Lukewarm Christians. And in the balance of our time, because I told you on this last one, I want to get it seemingly practical. I want us to walk through several observations of lukewarm Christians. And we're not casting stones. We're not being judgmental. But sometimes, how many of you know, all of us need to have a gut check. I've been having a gut check, a reality check every single week as I've been working on these talks. I had a gut check when I read the book. I've had a gut check every time I stand up here. I'm just saying, God, I want to be sure that everything that I'm talking about, I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes, but I want to be sure that in every domain of my life, you're really a priority in my life. So this is not being judgmental. This is not trying to be superior because we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. We know that. But I think that it would be good if we would just take a few moments and, and just talk about this. Um, you know, these are people that believe in God but really do not want to go overboard in their faith. They want just enough of Jesus to just glide into heaven sort of at the last moment like, like a, you think of a door coming down like a garage door and you go sliding in at the last second. Uh, they want just enough of Jesus to glide into heaven but not enough of Jesus to alter their lifestyle or become like a contagious all-in follower of Jesus. So I'm going to mention in the balance of our time, and we don't have long, and I'll move quickly, I want to give you a few observations. We'll get through as many as we have time. And uh, are you ready for this? Here we go. Observation number one. Observation number one, lukewarm Christians, lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith. Rarely share their faith. And there may be several reasons why they say that they're not going to share their faith. And, and it may sound something like this. Well, I'm not going to share my faith because in sharing my faith, it may offend somebody. Well, listen, if, if, if you and I are sharing our faith and, and we're doing it the right way, how many of you know this? Let me just say it this way. I'll just, I'll sort of walk this back and say, how many, how many of you know there are certain people, they're offended no matter what you do. They're offended that you woke up this morning. 
And some, some people are just so easily offended, but a lot of times we can use that if we're not careful, a lukewarm Christian, uh, if we're that, would just say, well, you know what, I just don't want to offend anybody, so I'm not even going to get into the whole Jesus thing, or, or I don't want, how about this one, I don't want people where I work, and I start talking about Jesus and my faith, and God is real in my life, and my devotion, I, I don't want to share my faith with anybody because I don't want anybody to think that I'm weird. I don't want that to happen. I, I, don't, I don't like, or somebody says, a lukewarm Christian can often say, I don't like feeling rejected. You know, it's just sort of emotional turmoil for me, and I've been rejected in life, and I, I just, if I share my faith and somebody doesn't respond positively to it, you know, that's pretty weak. That's lame, if you ask me, that uh, I just I just don't want to feel rejected. And, and, you know, I think about that so often. What's the worst thing that somebody can happen when we share our faith with them? Uh, they can say no. They can I'm, I'm not interested, and they're, they're not going to probably be violent. You know, and I think about that, and the reality reality of how a lot of Christians in other parts of the world, by sharing their faith, they're putting their life on the line. By living a Christian life and by sharing their faith, they may lose their job, their career. They may be disowned from their family. They may lose their life. They may lose their head while they share their faith. And here we are in America, 70, 75% of Americans say, I believe in God and I believe that Jesus Christ is his son. But I just, you know, somebody may not be real receptive to the gospel. And lukewarm Christians sort of take that and go with that. And again, for us, it's a gut check. It's a reality check. It's the time for us to ask God to just give us boldness, to ask God to give us a passionate resolve. You see, it's easy for us. And I hope that maybe, maybe later in this year, I'm thinking around October, maybe talk about in practical ways, how do, how do we share our faith? But one of the things that we need to amp this up is because, and you know where it gets red hot for me in my life? Because I get in the day-to-day -day sort of grind of life, moving and doing this and pastoring a church, being with my family and responsibilities. And, and if I'm not careful, I can so be so busy running that I just forget people, real people are going to go to hell one day if they're not in relationship with Jesus. If they don't know Christ, it's not like they get a free pass. Well, you know, I just didn't, you know, I just didn't go to church and get a free pass and nobody. No, that there are going to be real people that are going to go to a real hell. And when I stop and I think about that or I'm praying about that or I'm reading about that or I'm seeing something in the Bible, it just, I'm like, God, am I really doing my best? Am I, am I, really, am I really sharing my faith? Do I, am I really gripped by this that a lot of people that I make contact with every single day, and that if they're not in relationship with you, heaven is not going to be their eternal home. And so just, we ask God to give us boldness. We ask God to give us a passionate resolve that we'll look, a gut check, reality check. Hey, not everybody's going to heaven. And it is our responsibilities as authentic followers of Jesus to do everything that we can to introduce people to Christ and, and to faith. In, in fact, many of you are familiar. Look at what, uh, what, is in, what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Whoever acknowledges me, Jesus said, before men, guess what? I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And it's just not a cool thing to say, well, you know what? I worked at that job for 15 years, and nobody even knew I was a Christian. Wow, wasn't that? Didn't I play that cool? No, that's, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. If you and I are around people all the time, and they have no clue that we're a Christian, that's nothing to boast of. We don't get a trophy for that. That's a tragedy. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith. Observation number two, lukewarm Christians make light of their sin. And it usually sounds something like this. My sins are not that bad. They're not that bad. 
you know, compared to a lot, a lot of other people, you know, I work with some, uh, you know, people, you may say that I work with some people. They're like, they really raise in Hades all the time. And, and they're like, you know, the life and I hear them talk and their conversation and yeah, yeah, I've got sin in my life, but compared to them, my sin is, is not that bad. And and besides, this is my life, and a lukewarm Christian says, I'll do what, you know, at the end of the day, what I want with my life. It's nobody's business. Nobody needs to be meddling in my business. And besides, the reservoir of God's grace is so deep, and it is, by the way, and that is true, but it's taken to an extreme. The reservoir of God's grace is so deep that I can basically do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, how I want. I can do whatever I want in my life, and somehow, somehow, everything's going to be okay. And so in that case, for a lukewarm Christian, sin is renamed. It's got to be renamed. It's got to be reclassified, rebranded. It's got to be explained away or justified because to look at it for what it really is, sin that breaks the heart of God, it's just too painful. So a Christian atheist makes light of their sin. Observation number three. Lukewarm Christians are much more focused on earth than on heaven. And again, I mentioned to you, I always got to get worked over before I can deliver a talk. And I think, how often do I do that in my life? And I'm just thinking about everything is just earth-related today, tomorrow, next week. It's this. And am I spending my time, you know, thinking about heaven as much as I need to? And how many people, you know, making sure that I'm in, always in right relationship with God, vibrant faith, and trying to take family and friends and people that I know through my connections with me. But dominant in the thinking of a lukewarm Christian is always the present. It's not really the future. It's the temporal rather than the eternal. It's always this day, this month, this year, not really thinking about millions of years. And, and sometimes it's just good for me to just sit down and remind myself that the life that I have beyond this life is the life that's going to really last. You know, if you live to be 90 years old, if I live to be 90 years old, we'll think, well, that's a good thing. Wow, to live to be 90. Somebody's 90 and we say, wow, they've had a good long life. But you know, you know uh, in comparison with eternity, that's 90 years is nothing. And to know that all of us are going to spend our eternity somewhere, and it's going to be forever and ever and ever. 90 years is going to be nothing. A thousand years, a million years is going to be nothing because eternity goes on and on and on and on and on. And a lot of times you and I forget that. We forget about that in our own lives and the people that we love and the people that we know. And our, our minds are so fixated on just earth, and we never really think about heaven and all that that means. Philippians 1.21, look at this verse right here. This is Paul, and he said to a group of believers living in Philippi, he said, for to me, living means living for Christ, and, and dying is even better, and he just had a heaven kind of mindset. And so uh, we got to really, maybe that's an area where you feel a little bit challenged. You're like, you're right, you're right. I just need to be thinking about heaven more. Now, I'm not encouraging any of us. Have you ever met people? Don't raise your hand if you have. Uh, but have you ever met somebody that it felt like they were so heavenly minded they were no earthly good because their head was always in the clouds? They're like, wow, what, what planet does that dude live on? He's, he's not even, you know, I, I don't And that's, I'm not talking about extremism in that regard, but I'm just take, talking about this conscious awareness where we have you know, an influence and an impact where we live, but we're keeping one eye on heaven. Does that make sense? If it does, say amen. amen. Observation number four. Lukewarm Christians. Boy, have I seen this one. Oh, my. Have I seen this one. Lukewarm Christians only return to God when they need something. Only come back to God when they need something. 
Uh, I was thinking about it. Maybe I'm thinking about, uh, you know, football, and I like football, and a lot of you like football. Maybe I was thinking about it. But this is, this is what a lukewarm Christian does. A lukewarm Christian treats God like a backup quarterback. He's available, but not really necessary until somebody goes down. And lukewarm Christians are like that. As long as work is good and the kids are healthy and the bills are paid and the marriage is happy, God is placed over on the sidelines. God, everything's okay right now and everything's fine. I don't really need you. I don't really need you right now. And again, God becomes the backup quarterback. Don't need you. But boy, when trouble comes right back to God, things get better and just God, sidelines, go back over. I don't need you anymore. I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm calling the plays now and you can just stand on the sidelines. I don't really need you. Everything's good in my life. Lukewarm Christians only return to God when things start getting reckless in their life. Observation number five. Lukewarm Christians are generous and are givers only when it's convenient. A lukewarm Christian says, God, all this stuff is actually mine. <laughs> this is mine. I'm the one, God, is spending all the time and energy to earn it. And I don't want you doing anything to mess that up. I don't want you to do anything that would interfere with my plans. On the other hand, just painting a contrasting picture, on the other hand, a fully devoted follower of Jesus realizes that everything they have is a gift from God, and everything that they have is not only a gift from God, but is on loan to them from God. And again, it's all of a matter between an authentic, passionate, all-out follower of Jesus and a lukewarm Christian. It's all a matter of perspective and attitude. Whose stuff is it? A committed Christian says, well, I know whose stuff it is. It all belongs to God. And God gives me financial responsibility because I'm going to work hard. And uh, just like I've said to my kids their whole life since they were, before they could even work, hey, work harder than anybody else. Keep a good attitude. Do more than what they pay you to do. You know, just, just be a ferocious worker in that regard. And so, yeah, you and I have fundamental responsibilities to earn money and to budget money and to take care of our families. And God gives us the discretion to do that. But at the end of the day, we just sort of pause, put down our pen, and we just say, you know, God, here's the reality. I don't have any of this stuff if you haven't blessed me. This is a gift from you. On the other hand, the lukewarm Christian says, no, 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 uh-uh. No, again, it's a matter of attitude and perspective. Uh, a committed follower of Jesus says, it all belongs to God, and God, like, uses me as like a steward, a manager over it, but a lukewarm Christian says, no, that's not, it, it all belongs to me. It's all mine. I work for it. I make it happen. And yeah, we do work for what we have. But God is the one, at the end of the day, who gives us the ability to work and think. So often when I'm writing out my devotions, I kid you not, I write this all the time. God, thank you. Thank you that you give me energy. Thank you that you give me the ability to think and to work hard. God, all these things are a gift from you. And because I'm able to think and work hard and because I've got a work ethic, I'm able to provide for my family and have for many, many years. And, and that's a gift from God. But a lukewarm Christian says, no, me, I do it. I make it happen. And this stuff is mine. Observation six, and I'm about out of time, so I'll just hit this one quickly. And it sort of comprehensively wraps it together. Lukewarm Christians basically live their life like the rest of the world. Not a lot of difference. Not a lot of difference. You know, just how they live, how they talk, what they do. It's just like it would, it would be hard-pressed. You'd be hard-pressed to find a discrepancy between a lukewarm Christian 
and somebody that doesn't even claim to know God. And I know that you want more than that for your life. And I want more than that for my life and for my family and for your life. And so maybe if you've gotten a little tempered in your spiritual life, maybe it's not like you're a horrible person by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe you've just cooled off. Maybe you've just gone chill in your relationship with God. And maybe because things have been rocking along so good so long in your life, it's just like, I got God, I got it, got it, got it under control. And you've just little by little incrementally shut God out of various spaces in your life. If that's you, then you can take an important step right now and say, God, here's what I want to do. I want to be, be more than just informed. I want to do more than just know about God and, and know about your word and just know, be able to speak the ling, lingo. And I, I, want to, I want it to be more than just believing. I want to be red hot, on fire, passionate. I don't want you to vomit me out. I don't want you to spit me out. God, I want to be all in. No, I'm going to make mistakes like I mentioned last week. No, I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to fall sometime, but when I fall, I'm going to pick something up and I'm going to be better and stronger when I start walking again. And if that's you, if any of this, any of these observations have even come close to something where you're at, just say, God, mm, not going to allow that to enter into my life. I'm shutting that stuff out because I want to be red hot, not perfect because I can't be perfect, but I want to be all in. I, I don't want to drift. I don't want to cool down. I don't want to be like the water that flowed into Laodicea. That whether it came from Heropolis and it was hot initially or from Colossae that it was cold initially. And by the time it gets there, it's just lukewarm. I don't want my life to be lukewarm, God. I want to be fired up, all in, completely devoted to you. That's you. Let's stand together. Can we do that? Everybody standing. I'm about to pray and then we're going to be done, but you may be here today and you wouldn't make any kind of claim about being a Christian. Not a committed Christian, not even a lukewarm Christian, not any kind of Christian. You just say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him personally. I, I don't know what their Christian life is really like. Take it back to a verse. This is Revelation 3.20. Look at it right up here. Jesus said this, here I am. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, I promise you Jesus is knocking on your door. He's just, come on, let me in. Your life is going to be so much better with me. Let me in. Let me in. Jesus is knocking. He's been knocking for a long time. But if you're not a Christian, maybe today would be the day that you just open the door. Say, Jesus, come in. Come into my life. Come into my house. Come into my heart. Would you bow your head, everybody? Close your eyes. Everybody, just do that. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to receive Jesus, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and you're not yet a Christian and you want to pray and receive Christ into your life today, he'll come in. It's not like you've got to clean your life up and get everything worked out ahead of time. And once you're a better person than the person you are now, then you'll give your life. No, you can't do it apart from Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. Well, I've done this and I've done that. My life, my background, my story, I've done. No, Jesus will take you just the way you are, but he loves you so much. He won't let you stay that way. You just come to Jesus, and if that's you, and you want to pray this prayer with me and invite Christ into your life, would you just raise your hand, lift it straight up in the air as high as you can. 
Lift it straight up in the air and then just pray in your heart and your mind right now. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know that you're knocking on the door of my heart and I open it up today. Come in to my life, Jesus. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And I don't even know what all that means now, but I just know that I need you in my life and I receive you. And God, I just pray for any person here. And there may be scores of people that are just struggling with what we talked about. Just over time, they've noticed in their spiritual life, they've cooled off. They've just cooled off. They're not red, hot, passionate anymore. I pray that you would help them to return to their first love and the passion that they once knew and to be on fire for you, not lukewarm, but on fire for you like they once were. And I pray that for every person here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. Don't forget, the book is available out there. See you next Sunday.